This is the CRO Gumbo Podcast by Christian Louvier. Patrick Albano, welcome to the CRO Gumbo Podcast. How are you doing? Doing well, Christian. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you in the world today? I am in New York City. First day of what feels like fall. And uh, our office is just on the Hudson River. So I've got a beautiful, beautiful view of the boats going by. Do you live uh, like literally in Manhattan or do you have to commute in? I commute from Brooklyn, actually. From Brooklyn. Okay. Uh, how long have you been in Brooklyn? Because like, I feel like I've uh, seen it really evolve over the past 10, 12 years. Well, <laughs> I'm proud to say I was, I was born in Brooklyn. Got uh, it. So you've really seen evolution. <laughs> yes. I, I, grew up in, I grew up in Staten Island right across the, the water, but then moved back there about a year and a half ago. Got it. And while we're on that topic, Patrick, do you mind giving us just a little bit of a background uh, about your life, maybe like before you got into the professional uh, adult world? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure. So uh, I I grew up in Staten Island, so I'm a native New Yorker. Um, Growing up, I loved uh, sports and music. And I think a lot of those, a lot of my experience there has really influenced my career. I went to school upstate New York. Spent most of my life in New York, uh, lived in Manhattan for a long time, and then uh, spent a few amazing years living in London. But now I'm, I'm back here. How did, you, how did you end up in London? I was working for Yahoo at the time, and, uh, and I was really thinking about what the next job I wanted to do was inside the company. And, at this, and then uh, Yahoo had hired a new uh, person to run the European region, and she needed someone to come and help um, run part of the sales organization. So she and I had a long couple of chats and, uh, I asked my wife and she was very willing to move, which, uh, which was an amazing <laughs> leap of faith for her. Um, but we, we had an amazing time. We had a one and a half year old daughter at the time. And, and, and that was, that was a great experience for all of us. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Um, Patrick, you were, you were, uh, kind enough to give me a lot of, uh, detail on, uh, some of the, the topics I told you we were going to talk about. So, and you mentioned pets.com, which I knew about, but I'd never heard of Cosmo. What, what was that? Well, Cosmo funny, I think all of these business ideas, you end up, uh, people try them and maybe, uh, they're tried, they're too early. And I think timing is so much of what drives business. And so Cosmo's idea, and there was another company called urban fetch and, and what they were doing was delivering basically any product within New York City within two hours. So it's wow. kind of like the same model of Amazon Prime now, but mm-hmm. that was uh, 15 or 20, 20 years ago, and they, they just didn't have the economics right. Right. What, um, what do you think has changed? Because, I mean, from, the, from outside of um, New York, I mean, I think, you know, most people probably remember, uh, what, was the, what was the grocery one that was delivering groceries? Uh, Smart Web Van? Was that it? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, what do you think is it, do you think that it was timing of the mobile web and the smartphone that have changed that? Or do you think it's strictly like as a whole, the consumer consumers weren't ready for that type of change? It's a lot of things. I think consumer, consumer demand and, 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 and like ordering groceries online is something I think that just changes a paradigm that we've all had for a long time. I go to the store, I pick my things out. But so I think uh, as people get more used to e-commerce, they get more used to buying things that they're not seeing and touching. You have a, a younger generation who's now ordering groceries. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I think the, the logistics and the supply chain are also much more set up for that now. Uh, I think a lot of those early companies were just trying to grab food from grocery stores. And if you look at the, uh, the automation now that's built into these grocery factories, it's robots just grabbing things and they can pack thousands of bags at one time and have those things delivered. So the technology's helped out a lot to make that a, a real viable product. 
Got it. One of the things that you and I talked about in the the pre-interview was, you know, the influence that your parents had on you, specifically your dad. Can you talk a little bit about, you'd mentioned in our, at one point I wrote down literally uh, your dad um, zigged when others were zagging. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, my parents instilled a really strong work ethic in, in me and my sister when we were young. I think my first job, I was probably 12 or 13. <laughs> and, um, and my dad was, even when, even when I was younger than that, uh, you know, Saturday morning, I'd have to get up and help him with, with household chores. And, and that taught me a lot. You know, I learned not only how to work with my hands and do some of the things that, that, that you have to do to, to run a house, and I'm sorry, all, to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what was your, what was your dad doing? Was, was he working for somebody else or he had his own company? My dad spent 30 years, um, working with, uh, the different variations of, of phone companies. Uh, and in, in New York, those were like nine X and Bell Atlantic and what ended up becoming Verizon. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he had various jobs from technical jobs to up through management. So he, he knew how to manage people, but also really worked with his hands and understood how to solve problems. And I think that's the one thing that, you know, I learned from working with him and on, you know, Saturday mornings and just overall where I would think I had a great way of doing any task he would give me, (laughs) but he he always had a better way. And, you know, so I, every time I'd go to work with him, I'd I'd challenge myself to think, what's he going to tell me to do? And how can I think about that before he tells me? Mm -hmm. And these were, these were simplest tasks is like raking leaves. You know, you think that it's a simple thing, but he he just always had a really unique way of, of making sure we did it the right way. So I think what that's taught me in business is really trying to think through problems and and get ahead of uh, issues and think about different strategies that people aren't thinking about. And that's a competitive advantage for for businesses. It's been a competitive advantage for the sales teams I've run. Um, And actually, when I started my consulting and advising business, I called it Side Street Ventures because his theory, and this is way before GPS, he he always knew the (laughs) the side streets to get to our destination faster. So that's really inspired and taught me a lot. Did you ever, uh, stump him? Like, do you remember like a moment where you were just like, all right, I got him on this one. <laughs> uh, I honestly, I can't remember a moment. Um, he, he's, he still does it for me today. And when, when I have an issue, oh, he's still okay. <laughs> I, and it's, and it's always in, it's always in the most, uh, you know, thoughtful and, and, and non like judgmental way. It's just like, Hey, did you think about it this way? It's really, it's really impressive. You said you uh, named your consulting company side street ventures, uh, because he was always looking for side streets. Did you, did you, uh, does he know that? He does. You know, I, I, he, he's not on LinkedIn and I actually put it in my LinkedIn profile, but I sent it to him when, when I published that. I think he was, I think he was proud. That's awesome. Uh, Patrick, one of the things that when I reached out, caught my eye on your LinkedIn profile, speaking of LinkedIn was, uh, the, the best $227 you ever made. Can, can you talk about that story? It's a pretty unique way to put, put, put on your LinkedIn profile. For sure. Yeah. Well, I started, I started playing guitar, um, a little late in my life and, um, that was good and bad. I, I, I think I didn't have enough, um, you know, I think real amazing musicians start when they're really young, but I had such a passion for it and I'm a songwriter. So, so song, you know, when you're a songwriter and you have a, um, you know, that's kind of in your mind, it, it's hard to not do that. And so I've always been driven to, to write and perform. After 9-11, I was working in the digital advertising business, and it was really a tough time for that business. Uh, m- most people felt like the Internet wasn't going to survive, and you'd actually hear from clients saying, like, we don't believe in the Internet. We think it's dead. Really? Um, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing looking back on it, right? 
Um, but I, well, and, and I, I, well, the reason I, the reason I, I, I smirk at that is because in 2000, you know, when the towers went down and all that, I was at LSU, I was sophomore, whatever. And I mean, I had been ordering my Christmas presents off Amazon for like four years at that point. And to me, it was that, that never even crossed my mind that it wouldn't exist. Um, so it's amazing to me that such big advertisers were thinking that way. Well, I think you, you, had a, you had a real divide in society, right? There were the people that were young enough to understand it, but then there were the people that were old, older, older and, and, and knew things a certain way. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the greatest quotes I heard, I remember from that time, is um, someone told me, we're, we're a couple of retirement parties away from digital being mainstream. Meaning like the senior executives at companies don't understand these things. Once yeah. they start retiring, the next generation will, will take over. And that's actually happened. Got it. And I guess I'm going through that right now in some way, shape or form. There's something I'm not getting uh, here in my late thirties that, uh, that I guess the same thing happens to me. I guess it's just cyclical, cyclical. Right. It's probably, <laughs> probably TikTok. Uh, yeah, I actually had to, I, funny story about TikTok. I had to, um, I have two kids now and uh, uh it's probably a month ago now. I had, I told my wife, I was like, here, you have to take my phone away because me and my two kids literally sat there for two hours watching TikTok videos. <laughs> and I was like, you have to take my phone away. I get the virality of it. I don't know that I'm the, the, I don't know that I could create the way some of those people create on there. But I think that's the lesson learned, right? I think anybody that lived through that or a similar experience knows that you have to sit down and, and do these things and learn them. Because if you believe that the technology is not going to be viable, you have to at least be able to analyze whether it will or it won't, but ignoring it is really where you're, where you could, where you could be, you could be crushed. Got it. Um, so yeah, let's, let's go back on the, that, ta- that, that topic. You, you said that uh, going back to the, the original question, which was the $227, so you're playing guitar and then basically you're dealing with a hard time with digi- selling digital advertising. And I'm sorry, I interrupted you at that point. That's okay. Yeah. So I was working at a company called about.com, which at that time is, was, was one of the largest properties on the internet, really well-known business. But I, I, I just decided that I, I had this, this itch around um, performing and being a musician, something that I, I thought like, this is the time in my life where I have to give this a shot. And, um, and I was thinking about it constantly throughout the day. So I decided that I was going to leave my role at about and focus full time on, uh, on, on, on performing. And again, there's another, another story where my wife was completely supportive of a crazy idea. Uh, you were which, married at the time. Uh, I think I was actually da- dating, um, Beth at the time, but we ended up. Okay. So, um, so, so <laughs> you still had to sell her on the idea though. <laughs> right. Um, so I took some time off and, and, and would just wake up every day, write songs at night, perform as much as I could. It was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. And, and, and I, and I, and I, I would not trade that for, for anything either. I think I was, I realized at a certain point, a, I wasn't good enough to be professional. I just didn't have the vocal skills and, um, and then B, it also became a bit more of a job and it's hard when your passion becomes a job. And so I decided I would go back to work. But what I do think, like there's, um, there's one night I think about so much because it was, a re- it was probably the biggest crowd I ever played in front of a few hundred people at this club in New York. And there was a, a song that I wrote, an original of mine, and I was playing it and, it, and the crowd was singing back to me. And when, oh my God. When you see a crowd of people singing back your lyrics that they never <laughs> heard before, like before that night, they had never heard the song before. It was really a moment that like, I, I could see it vividly when I closed my eyes. 
and I, and I think about it a lot in business too, because as a, as a leader in a company, the thing that you're really trying to do, or as a salesperson, the thing you're trying to do is, is get the people that are listening to you to sing along. And so, uh, so I really look back on that experience and that feeling and try to recreate that a lot in my business, uh, my business life. Man, that's incredible. I gotta, I gotta ask now I have to ask like, all right, so you get that feeling. Um, how long after that did you call it a day and put and hang up the guitar? Cause I mean, that's pretty intoxicating. <laughs> it is. Um, it was probably a few months later, you know, I think that, uh, it, I, I don't know if I ever got that feeling again and I don't know why I, I think it was, um, it was probably, you feel that once and you, and you see it and then it becomes a little more common as it happens again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I also feel like, uh, the, the other feelings were kind of outweighing that, which is like, you know, is this, is this really going to be a viable career for me? And then you start practicality kind of took over <laughs> first passion. The adulthood starts kicking in. Ah, right. I hate that. Um, well now you can like at least release the song on Spotify or something for free. <laughs> like, That's right. <laughs> and just so your kids can hear it and stuff. You, you know, you've sold advertising at, at Yahoo, which is, uh, I'm sorry, about.com and you were at Yahoo before that. And, um, so that's B2B and now you're in B2C. Can you talk a little bit about the major differences you're seeing, um, right now, if any? Sure. Well, my, and my roles um, in my past too have been a little bit of hybrid. I've been kind of B two B sales, but within B two B two C companies. And so, um, my my career track has really always been focused on the things that were next in technology. And what I realized about myself early on in my career, and this is early, you know, as we talked about, I was early on in, in the consumer internet, and then early on in the social space, and then the mob- mobile marketing, mobile advertising. So I've really kind of tried to find where the openings in the market are. I guess it's similar to the story we talked about earlier, but where are the openings in the market and the new technology that will, that will change the world. And so I feel like um, what drove me to this, my current role at a, at a B2C company called Blade is, is the way that direct-to-consumer brands are now starting to change not only in commerce, but all business in general, they operate differently. They have different uh, business models. They have different supply chains. They have different cultures internally, different management styles. And so I feel like the, the, um, the shift for me was not just a consumer business, but it was to a direct-to-consumer business, which I think uh, is really going to be a, a massive part of what, what we see reshaping the mm-hmm. business industry in the next 10, 15 years. And then now you're C- CRO of Blade, but you've also kind of made a career uh, post, you know, uh, post uh, music career of, um, you know, being the guy who's talking about new technologies and innovation and being paid for that. Um, how do you help leaders, I guess, you know, understand that like you're looking 18, 18 months ahead and, and proving that value when they're trying to like land the plane today? Well, I think it's, for me, it's always been six to 12 months. And I think eight, 18 months it, to me is more of a futurist than an R and D type group. I think, um, okay. seeing things that are going to happen in the next six or 12 months is, is, is actually, um, I've found to be something that organizations a lot of times struggle with because they're so focused and it's not mainly on like landing the planes today. It's actually just organizations a lot of times get stuck in what we did yesterday or what we did in the past. And, and so I think finding those new business opportunities and being able to simplify what's going to happen in the next six months, show customers, show uh, partners, show um, employees, that's the, that's the trip. And, and so that's where I've focused to try to get ahead, slightly ahead of the market, where the puck's going, and, 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 and execute on it today. 
Got it. Do, do you, do you find that most of the pitches that you're doing or conversations around that, um, they, they understand the value and they just, they haven't put like an emphasis on it and you kind of like fill that need. Well, I'll give you a great example. And, and uh, Blade, Blade um, the company I, I'm at now, is focused um, one of the largest brands in the urban air mobility space. Mm-hmm. What, what that means is giving people ways to travel around cities, short distances uh, in the air. And uh, that's through helicopters, seaplanes, jets, things like that. I think um, we've the model we've built is using technology and service and um, customer experience to enable people to fly on helicopters, as an example. It's something most people didn't know they could do. It was really reserved for the rich. Uh, but mm-hmm. now we're, for $195, you can fly to, uh, to any of the airports around New York City. So I bring that up because it's a great example of what you're asking, which is once you say to people, hey, instead of spending two hours in a car driving to the airport, you can fly to the airport for five minutes. It's $195. It's about as expensive as, a, as an Uber SUV. Um, they, they, they realize that right away. And then once they experience it, it's kind of like, wow, that's, that makes total sense. I, I get it. Um, so I think if you, you know, if you can, uh, really just sort of simplify the ideas and say, this is where we're going in the future, but right now you can do it. Uh, then people start to understand, all right, well, maybe I'll give that a try. And, and that's what we've seen is a massive, um, amount of people now discovering like, how easy that is and, and giving it a try. So yeah, Patrick, let's, let's keep continue on that example of blade. So, I, I think the first time I downloaded the blade app was, I don't know, two years ago, something like that. Um, and obviously I don't live in New York, but I'm just always playing with new technologies. Um, and one of the things about being a CRO is you're, like you said, you're looking, you know, six, 12 months ahead before you came on at blade. Well, how did you see, you know, we're going to make this work in other markets. Cause obviously at some point you got to grow past that market. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, so Blade has expanded to has, this year has been a huge year of expansion, both uh, for our products in New York and our products in outer markets. Mm-hmm. Um, and we understanding where the opportunities are is is really based on kind of consumer pain points. So you know we look at different cities and understand you know is there a pain point there. Um, in New York, the big pain point, you know, originally we started as trips to the Hamptons, which is uh, driving in Long Island uh, over the summer can take four to five hours. So that was a huge pain point. And uh, now we, we realize going to the airport is, is a big one. And so I think trying to identify areas where we can help people mm-hmm. is a core way to, to, to drive the business. And I think that applies to most businesses, software businesses or consumer uh, internet businesses. If you can provide a value and help people, then the consumer adoption and the, and the customer adoption will come. Is there uh, anything that you can share like outside of uh, Manhattan right now that you're, you're seeing in terms of, you know, we've really identified one of those pain points. We started flying um, in San Francisco earlier this year um, from Palo Alto to Napa okay. and also to San Francisco airport between Palo Alto. So, you know, you have a lot of, executives flying coast to coast. And then once you land in uh, an SFO, you know, you can hop in a car um, or you can take a quick helicopter ride. And so that's a, um, that's another example of how we've, we've applied the business. Um, And then we're launching a few other markets in a similar way um, with airport service over the next few months. Okay. So Patrick, one of the things that I, you know, I start, I told uh, when I invited uh, people come on in the, 
when I invite people to come onto the podcast, um, I tell them that I'm trying to, you know, build a community of CROs because I don't feel that that position, the position has um, clearly been defined yet, like a CMO or CFO. Um, and you know, you're, you, pr- you definitely proved that point in that, you know, you were essentially, um, uh, acting CRO consultant. And then that kind of bled into a full role as the CRO of, uh, of blade. And I guess what I'm curious about is how do you see, you know, if you had to put a, a the, the permanency of this is what a CRO does and look ahead five years, what, what how would you define that? I think the rules are actually sh- changing a lot. It's probably not the easiest answer for um, for building the community, but I, I've been fascinated by the changing role of the CMO as well. And uh, AdAge just did a re- an article about this recently, which talked about how a lot of large companies are eliminating the CMO mm-hmm. and blending that role with, with a sales or revenue-focused person. So I think the CRO is a really critical job because it's someone who looks at the business from the point of view of revenue. And while that might seem obvious, uh, I think a classic CMO might think about it in terms of uh, brand identity and brand health. But as we get, I think the things that are driving that obviously are uh, increasing competition in lots of markets, the ability to measure and um, optimize everything based on data. Like that's, you know, advertising, it's consumer engagement, all those things. And so the data-driven mindset and how that data and the consumer behavior drive sales is a really important part of a business today. So my role right now is a little bit of a hybrid where I'm looking after consumer marketing as well as uh, sales and partnerships. And so I think, I think you'll see that trend continue a lot, which is the CMO role becoming more of a hybrid and the CRO role taking on more responsibility. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, I don't know if this is a big deal outside of Atlanta, but like it was such a Coca-Cola was such a poster boy down here for, um, the CR CMO position being eliminated. I mean, it's hard to find a, it's hard to find too many bigger brands that have a consumer market, uh, than that. And them eliminating the CMO speaks volumes. So it's a huge statement. Yep. Coca-Cola is such such a, I don't know if this, it's helpful to add, but Coca-Cola is such an interesting business because you can't really move the brand awareness of Coca-Cola. Maybe for some of their newer products you can, but at the end of the day, the idea of building the brand or straight up advertising is, is difficult. I think, you know, as, as the, that space gets more competitive, uh, it's about moving product and making sure sales and the whole supply chain of distributors and stores are are optimized. So I'd imagine that they're thinking about this in a similar way. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know how they grow much outside of, um, new, uh, acquiring new labels and distribution. I don't, I don't really know that there's any other ways to do it. Do you have any insights on that or thoughts on that? Well, it's probably international as well as, um, different, different use cases for products. I can't really think of what I would use classic Coke for other than to drink, but, um, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of companies try to figure out, um, other ways to, uh, to use the products in new ways and then open up new markets based on that. Got it. So Patrick, you're a co-chair and founding member of the AI and machine learning working group um, for the interactive advertising bureau. Um, One of the things that gets thrown around a lot to me is artificial intelligence, but there's no real application, so to speak. It's just kind of like a buzzword. Is there anything that you would say is AI driven right now that is really uh, crushing, you know, helping you crush your job as a CRO? 
there's there, just to give you insight, uh, there, there is a um, there's a bunch of AI softwares that I've looked at for sales. I think they're pro- I don't know how well they're doing. But there's one I remember looking at that I thought was fascinating, which is a um, it's a software that records phone calls and measures the moments that the call takes the right or wrong direction. I think it's and Gong. Gong, yeah. And I, I like it's a, it's an amazing concept, and also really could be an amazing coaching concept. If if I was on this call with you and it was giving me the notifications, you're going long, you're a little boring, uh, you know that sort of thing is uh, is really is really impressive and powerful. I haven't used it in practice though, so I can't say if it's really like a, tr- a true game changer. I've heard great things about the call recording for like looking at how you were recording, but. Um, uh, like how you're recording with the call, but I haven't heard anything uh, on the reviews about, you know, this is, this is the moment that it started to suck or whatever. So I think that's the, and that's the thing with AI right now is you, you getting base level um, machine learning is, 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 is available. And that's usually about pulling data and about pulling reports. I think real time AI that actually gives you advice and helps you in things is, is still a little, little ways ahead, away. Got it. Okay, Patrick, we're going to uh, jump into the quick hit Q&A session. So the answers are meant to be quick, but uh, you know, take as long as you need. You ready? Sure. Uh, what blind spot uh, did you have in your 20s that you clearly see now? I probably thought too much. I think great musicians, great athletes get into the state of flow. And, you know, I've, I've learned through lots of education and coaching uh, how, to, how to get myself into that state of flow in business. And it's been a game changer for me. Got it. Um, what were your favorite sports teams or favorite sports teams now, I guess, as well? I was a Mets fan growing up. I, was, I think I was 10 in 1986 when the Mets won the World Series. Started working in sports, though, right right after that. I was a, a souvenir vendor at Giant Stadium on Sundays and um, then worked in sports, Sports Illustrated. And, and so I think sports became a little bit more of a business to me than it was a passion. So um, I've, I've, uh, I'm not as passionate of a fan as I once was. Wow. So you started high with the Mets your first year they won the world series. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. And then you, you worked as a vendor in giant stadium. I did. That was an amazing job. Cause not only did we do Sunday games for the jets and the giants, but we also did concerts the summer before I went to college, it was probably 17 or 18 concerts. And my best uh, memory of that was we, we would be there to set up really early and I and I and you'd go in and watch the bands uh, do sound check, and so I went in one day and Giant Stadium's you know fifty thousand people and sat by myself in the upper deck watching Paul McCartney practice Penny Lane. Uh, and it was amazing just to be in that moment. And, and he, the reason why the stadium was empty is because he doesn't let, allow anybody to watch sound checks. So really? right, after, right after he was done, somebody came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You got to get out." Now, did you know he didn't allow him, and that's why you're that high up? I didn't know. That's actually where we were just stationed that week for the, for the, oh, okay. yeah. And gotcha. Wow. That's, 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 that's amazing. Um, never know what you're going to see in life. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, what software do you use the most at work? We're a big Slack business and, um, you know, I, I'm, uh, every business I think uses Slack in a, in a different way. Uh, I'm, I'm learning, uh, new ways every day of programming it, uh, both to keep the company informed, but also to think about it like a social platform and how we, how we share updates, how we share information. So it's been a really, really powerful tool. Um, and what is your, um, I know you're biased, but cause y'all have a great mobile app. Um, what's your favorite mobile app though, outside of the fly blade app? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, besides the flyability app, in you know, my personal life, I, I, I'm, I still play guitar. Don't, don't perform as much as I once did. But I use, um, I use a guitar app called Ultimate, Ultimate Guitar, and it's, uh, it, it gives you song tabs and, and gives you ways to play different songs. So I'm constantly switching between my favorites and, and songs I can play for the kids that they'll actually listen to. <laughs> are, they, are they into like playing the guitar? Are they, are they, do you have, they have the music gene? They love singing, um, but they're more in the kids' bop uh, dance music, and I'm more in the Tom Petty YouTube. <laughs> so we've got a bit of a difference when we're in the car. Yeah, I never, uh, I've never listened to so much Taylor Swift in my life over the past four years. Um, I know way more than I should. Um, uh, if you were, if you were at a, a Mets baseball player, or you had to walk into your own stadium where you're the star, you needed some intro music. What would that song be? I think it'd be Salisbury Hill by Peter Gabriel. I mean, that that song just for me is about about flying and uh, getting getting into a, a new space and thinking about the world in a boundless way. That that is a that is a unique one. I didn't, I wasn't expecting that one. Um, most people have something like hard hitting. That one's pretty mellow. Um, Patrick, if you could write one thing on a billboard in Times Square, what would it be? Well, I try to live every day about um, with, with three things in mind. What new thing can I learn today? What can I do to make my life better for my family? And then what can I do better to, to make life better for the people around me? So those are my three models to live by. And I think if, if that was a billboard in Times Square, it would sum me up. What is your least favorite word? Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> what turns you off in life? Negativity. I think, uh, you know, I try to live, uh, as I said, every day with a positive point of view. And, um, and so I think, uh, it's hard when I, when I counter employees, um, team members that, that have a negative view, I, I get it. And life sometimes is negative. So I always do my best to try to help them out of that. What's your favorite curse word? I lived in Europe, uh, for a couple of years and I was amazed at, um, how language is different between the two places. And, uh, there's a couple of words that people use in, in London that I think would, would never be used here. And I was always fascinated at how they were worked into conversation. Uh, I won't say them, but they start with the T N C. Gotcha. Um, what sound or noise do you love? The G chord on my guitar. What do you hate? What sound do you hate? Ugh. Oh, the sound. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, what profession would you not like to do? Another job I had in high school, I worked for a moving company. And one day there was, uh, I had a couple extra hours of work and, and the, the foreman asked me if I would scrape this factory floor with this razor blade to get the paint up. And mm-hmm. at, at that moment, I realized I, I, I needed to go to college. I wanted to have a professional career. And so I respect everybody that does, does any, any kind of work. And I, and I am glad I experienced that, but I, but I knew at that moment, I really wanted to work in a business like this. Been there, done that for sure. Um, and last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? God, I hope he says, welcome. Everyone here you've ever loved is just that way. You can go over and spend time with them now. Patrick, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way would be on, on LinkedIn. Just uh, send me a request. Always, always best as a matter of practice. And in this case, if you just mentioned that you heard the podcast or, um, or you know Christian, uh, and so connect with me that way. And if you, uh, if you travel at all for your business, check out flyblade.com. We've got service, hopefully, that can help you. Got it. Patrick Albano, thanks so much for joining me on the CRO Gumbo podcast. Thanks, Christian. Really enjoyed it. My pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to CRO Gumbo. If you are a CRO or an executive leader at the intersection of sales, marketing, and customer service, and want to innovate around your existing revenue processes, or if you want to find some places where some lost revenue may be occurring, feel free to text us for more information on how we can help you. Text CRO to 555 that's C-R-O-555-888. Now go innovate.